come in authority in and of myself. And you have that kind of outlook. What's going to happen is this. You're going to be fine as long as things go your way, but what happens when the other person next to you, who is also lawless, disregards your rights, your needs, and infringes on it? Oh, wait a minute, that's not fair, right? Have you ever noticed that people who hate rules have a tremendous sense of fairness? And that sense of fairness revolves around me and what I find convenient. Lawlessness rejects the idea that the Creator establishes boundaries. And so what we find in our society, in our culture, is a progressive move toward this idea of rejecting authority. In fact, kind of the ultimate statement of this was a story that was on the news just this past week. Did you hear about the guy, I think it was in Alabama, who rammed his car into a monument to the Ten Commandments? The state had placed a monument with the Ten Commandments on it, and he said, I resent that, drove across the lawn, smacked into it, knocked it over, and then found that there are consequences to lawlessness. A lot of people are, if not physically driving their car into the Ten Commandments, they are figuratively driving their car into the Ten Commandments. They reject it. They hate God putting boundaries on us. That is sin. That is missing the mark. That is intentional rebellion. But that intentional rebellion has led to the behavior of lawlessness, this active, open rebellion. So that's the first perspective on sin. The first perspective on sin is that practicing sin is lawlessness. But then we move into the next part of the passage. As we come to verse 5, we find that God has made a provision for sin. And that was made by Jesus Christ. After this statement in verse 4, he says, verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Now, when the scripture talks about Jesus appearing to take away sin, he's talking about the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was born in the manger, when he came and he lived among us. That was Jesus appearing, and according to the Word of God, He appeared for a purpose. Look at what the Scripture says that purpose is. Verse 5, you know that He appeared in order to take away sins. Jesus came to deal with sin. And perhaps John was even thinking about something that he had written in his Gospel of John when John the Baptist saw Jesus. He said the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was Jesus' purpose in coming. We are all lawless sinners 
But Jesus came to provide deliverance from that sin. To die on the cross to become our substitute, paying the penalty for our sin. He has taken it away. So what does that mean about my perspective? Listen, when I really understand what it took to pay for my sin, it shows the awfulness of my sin. That God would have to take on flesh, live among us, die on the cross for my sin as my substitute. I need to not only see sin as lawlessness, but I need to see it as something that was so awful, it required God to come to take away my sin. Now, what was going on in John's time as he was writing this letter was there were those who had come into his fellowship, into his church, and they were teaching that sin wasn't really important, that it wasn't something that was really that big a deal. What John is saying is, no, it is a big deal because, number one, it's lawlessness. It's usurping the position and the authority of God. But number two, it required God to do something dramatic and drastic to deal with sin. And that was to send His Son into this world to die for us on the cross because of our sins. So as a child of God, how should I view sin? It's something that's awful. Because of what it required. Now look at what John also says in this fifth verse. You know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. The reason that Jesus was able to be the perfect sacrifice for my sin and your sin was because he had no sin in him. As a matter of fact, two passages of scripture speak to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. By Jesus becoming our substitute, taking our sin upon Himself, and identifying with our sin as our substitute, He was able to pay for our sin. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Then look at that last statement, yet without sin. So here we have the sinless Son of God who comes, sacrifices Himself on the cruel cross for us to extend God's grace. Sin is a big deal. Then we come to the sixth verse. And as we come to verse 6, we see that people who abide in Jesus won't habitually sin. Look at verse 6. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. Now that is the same concept that we've seen earlier about practicing sin. And what the Word of God is telling us in this passage is important for us to grasp. When I am abiding in Christ, that means when I am dependent on Him, when I count on Jesus Christ to be my strength and my portion in life, when I develop an intimacy of a close relationship with Him, it will be inconsistent for me to continue as though I have no relationship with Him. Do you catch that? Abiding in Jesus means... That it transforms, it changes 
the way that I live. So I won't be able to live as I did before I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I won't be able to live like a world around me who disregards Jesus Christ. Because I have been abiding in Him, it will change my thought processes, my choices, my activity. Now the Word of God is crystal clear on this. No one who keeps sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Why? Because there's a change that takes place. When we look in the Scripture, we find passage after passage that talks about this change. But the clearest that we find is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There is change that takes place. So when I come to Christ, place my personal faith in Him... It changes me. I should be changed. The old things pass away, the new things come. Now, does that mean that I will never sin again? Absolutely not. Paul struggled with sin himself. The man who wrote most of the New Testament said this, and this is to me one of the hardest passages to read without messing up, but I'll give it a shot. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You know what he's saying? When I want to do right, I don't. When I want to do bad, I do. And that's Paul writing as a believer, right? So we all struggle with sin. But here's the idea. If I am perpetually practicing sin, I have no concern about it, and I intend to continue in that practice and maybe even develop it some more, I need to question whether or not I really know the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to ask myself, Have I really seen him for who he is, what he's done, and have I come to the place to where I have trusted him as my Savior? Has there been that change that takes place? That's the question that John is asking. And really, I think it's a question we should all examine ourselves in. Now, I know the way this usually goes down. Usually the people who are the sincere believers and who really love the Lord say, oh, wow, you know, I I remember what I did yesterday and this morning. wonder if I'm really a Christian. That's not what John is talking about, okay? What he's talking about is, yeah, I sin, what of it? And I'm going to just continue in it, and there's not a thing you can do about it because that's what I want to do. If that is our attitude and we have no concern about God, no desire to deepen in our walk with Him and know Him in a deeper and fuller way, then we'd better ask ourselves that question, whose child am I? And that brings us to the next part of this passage. The proof of who we follow would be our actions. And we find 
that, first of all, in verse 7, John talks about the pattern of our lives and that if I am a follower of Jesus, I will pattern my life. I will live righteously as Jesus is righteous. Look at verse 7. Little children. Now, he's appealing to them once again with this term of endearment. And what he's saying is this. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. That just seems almost so simple that it doesn't even need to be stated. And yet, what do we find? There are many people who confuse this. I've heard people so many times do something despicable and then say, well, that's not really who I am. Oh, really? Who just did that? You know? That's a glimpse into who you are. And we need to come to terms with sin and understand that, listen, I need to pursue righteousness. And when I am practicing righteousness, it demonstrates that I am a follower of the one who is righteous, Jesus Christ. There are many who take the Scripture and they twist it and distort it and say that I can do my own thing and not live righteously and yet still be okay with God. Many false teachers in the first century were doing that. Jude addresses this when he says this, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designed for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So here's what was going on. There were some people who said, look, God's grace delivers us from sin. So guess what? I can sin as much as I want to, and the grace of God covers it. That is a misunderstanding of the grace of God. The grace of God is something that God freely gives on the basis of faith. But that grace changes us. It's not a pass, a get-out-of-jail-free card. It is God extending to us His favor without our earning it. And it's something that is received by faith. But here's what we need to understand about grace. Although it is freely given, it transforms us. It changes us into one who practices righteousness like Jesus, not one who rejects all that God is and all that God stands for. Our outward behavior is going to be an indication of who we genuinely follow. Now look at the next part. In verses 8 and then in 10, we find that practicing sin is of the devil. Now, I know that in some movies and in some books, everybody who says, oh, that's of the devil, you know, we look at them and we get all bent out of shape and we say they're a kook, you know, they see the devil behind in every tree. Listen, that, that's not what is being said here. The devil is a true force person He is an angel who rebelled against God. 
and rebellion characterizes his nature and the nature of all who practice lawlessness and stand against God. You are lining yourself up with the one who opposes all that God is and all that God stands for when you habitually practice sin because you're buying in to the rebellion that Satan lives every day and has lived for thousands of years. So here's what we need to grasp about Satan. If I practice evil... I am aligning myself with Satan because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Perhaps John was thinking about an exchange that Jesus had with the Pharisees. In John chapter 8, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and talking about their slavery to sin. And they responded, we've never been slaves to anyone forgetting hundreds of years of Jewish history. (laughs) But then, Jesus challenges them, and he talks about the fact that you are not behaving like children of Abraham, children of faith. You're behaving like your father, the devil. And these are strong words. He says this, you are of your father, the devil, And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In other words, everything that Satan stands for from the beginning has been rebellion toward God when he first rebelled going forward. All rebellion. God. And so what John is saying is this, look, when you're practicing sin, you're practicing that in your own life. You are buying in to what Satan does. We need to understand that Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. Look at what that verse goes on to say. Verse 8, whoever practices sin, or makes a practice of sinning, is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. God is opposed to the work of Satan, just as Satan is opposed to the work of God. And part of Jesus' mission was not only to save us, but to stop the work and the ministry and I use that term loosely, ministry, (laughs) of Satan. As believers, we should not be in league with him. In fact, look a little bit later at the 10th verse. The 10th verse goes on to say this, By this it is evident who the children of God and who the children of the devil are. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So in other words, my behavior... My actions will ultimately demonstrate who I follow. And I cannot say that I have a close relationship with God and habitually practice sin. That's the idea. 
So it's sobering. It drives us as believers to evaluate ourselves. Where do I stand? Who do I follow? What are my actions demonstrating? Last part of the passage that I want to look at is verse 9. And in verse 9, we see that we have power to be delivered from sin because Jesus took our sins away, as we saw earlier. But then look at the ninth verse. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. You know what this text is saying? It's telling us that, look, when you have been born again, when you have placed your personal faith in Jesus Christ and you have experienced conversion, there is a new nature that comes into you. You are given spiritual birth. And that spiritual birth brings about change. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes this, you were taught with reference to your former way of life to lay aside the old man who was being corrupted in accordance with deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new man who has been created in God's image in righteousness and holiness that comes from truth. That is this being born again that the scripture is talking about. You see, when you trust Christ as your Savior, you are not only delivered from your sin, but you are given a new nature. And that new nature moves us toward righteousness. So the reason that a child of God will not continue to practice lawlessness is because that new nature moves him along. That's the idea. You will see the old nature have less and less strength and the new nature have more and more. And who works with that new nature? Look at what the Scripture says in this ninth verse. It says that His seed abides in us. Now, earlier, John had been talking about the Holy Spirit abiding in us. And I think that's what he means in this text when he says that his seed abides in us. Listen, I have a new man, a new nature, but I also am indwelled by the Spirit of God. And as the Spirit of God works in my heart and in my life, that drive toward practicing sin becomes less profound. I do not become sinless, but I gain victory in areas of my life where I sin less. That's the idea. There is a change that takes place. Now, how rapidly does that change take place? I don't know. I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all. After 35 years in ministry, I've seen some people that take off and never look back. I've seen some people that take off, look back, go back, and then go on. And I've seen some that are just so slow, you wonder, what are they doing? Why are they spinning their wheels? We're all different. But there's change that takes place. And it's the work of the Spirit of God in our lives that accomplishes it. I like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, 
we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. And look at this. We are being transformed. Now notice it says being transformed. In other words, it's a process. We are being transformed from the inside out. That's what transformed means. Into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Why does the believer no longer practice sin? Because they have been born of God. They have a new nature. But then secondly, the seed of God abides in them. In other words, it is the Spirit of God working in our hearts and in our lives to transform us. This morning we've seen that if we practice righteousness, we are imitating the one who is ultimately righteous, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to that. That's the path that we should be following as the children of God. But we've seen that there are those who choose a different path to practice sin, to disregard who God is, what God has said. They're pursuing lawlessness. What the Scripture says about that is you are better manifesting the devil than you are God if that's the path that you follow. You should call into question whether or not you have genuinely come to God and placed your faith in Him. This morning, I can't see into your hearts, I can't see into your lives, but I can see into the Word of God. And what I shared with you is nothing that I've made up, nothing that I've just thought ought to be said and thrown out there. You know how I go, verse by verse through the Bible. And this was the next section that we've hit. But I can't help but wonder if there's someone this morning that God is speaking to and saying, I continue to practice sin and it doesn't really bother me. Let me encourage you this morning. Stop and think about where you are and where you will be as a result of that path. God has something so much better for you. Jesus came to take away your sin. So my encouragement to you this morning is embrace what God freely offers, forgiveness and a new life in Jesus Christ. Christian, Perhaps you're in one of those funks spiritually. You're just not abiding in Christ. That fellowship is hurting. The relationship's fine. You're a child of God. But you've gotten off the path for a season. Think about who you are what it took to make you who you are, and turn from that path to Jesus.